this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. We're currently in the middle of our John Cougar Mellencamp phase. And for those of you who don't know what that means... John Cougar Mellencamp, John Mellencamp, when he started his career, he started under the stage name John Cougar, and he released six albums under that name. And then he decided he wanted to start using his real name, John Mellencamp. But he'd built this big audience with six albums. He didn't just want to lose the whole audience by switching from the name John Cougar to John Mellencamp. So from the years of 1983 to 1989, he recorded four albums under the name John Cougar Mellencamp. So he went from John Cougar to John Cougar Mellencamp, and then he could finally be just John Mellencamp. So why am I talking about that? Because as you know, I've combined both of the podcasts here. We are currently in the phase known as Random Badassery slash Creative Minds. And then eventually the Creative Minds name is just going to drift apart. Nothing's going to change here except You will get the show that you had before with me talking to guests and every week. In addition, you're going to get episodes with me and Lamb. For those of you who heard this last week, I'm sorry. I just need to make sure that all of you know this. I don't want you guys to think that you're losing anything here. So this week's episode, this episode right now, the one I'm about to start that I'm delaying terribly, making you anticipate terribly, is an episode with Lamb and I. And then later this week, I'll release an episode with me and a friend. So stick around and subscribe. This is Random Badass new mic new voice and oh by the way um this is the first time we're in the big boy pond this is the first time the two uh two shows same show now yep yep yeah so uh yeah how's that make you feel (laughs) there's considerably more people listening now than we're listening before does that make you feel uh nervous at all um how do I how do I put this? No, not in the way that I would think. I'm not nervous. Um, I'm actually excited at the prospect of being able to 
um, help more people. Because I feel like in, in the long run, whether it's the other show or this show, um, it's all about trying to bring positive or try, trying to help people through things. And it's not always positive, obviously. Sometimes we go through some pretty dark stuff as well. Um, but there's definitely more of a true sense of altruism and it's not just about us. You know what I mean? Um, and, and given who I am and what my typical priorities are as a person, I feel very strongly that that will motivate me to do even better in the show. And just to, cl- to clarify for everybody listening, when he says this show and the other show, he's talking about the way things were before. Everything is this show now. Everything is here now. Um, if you're listening to this on the old on the, on the Random Badassery Archive, come over to the new Random Badassery feed. And if you are listening to this as a Creative Minds listener and going, what the hell is this? <laughs> You've already had one episode of this. We've combined both shows. It just makes more sense to me. It, because uh, I don't always get to sit down and talk to people in the interview format every week. So you could either sit and wait for episodes or Lamb and I are always making episodes every week. So I could just put them together and then it's magic. And that is what we call coming full circle. Yes. And for people who don't know, Creative Minds was originally Random Badassery. And then Lamb didn't have time to do the show anymore. So I went on solo and I felt I needed to change the name because it didn't fit anymore. And now it fits again. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 the difficult... See, one of the things that's difficult... I don't want to talk about this too long and bore the shit out of everyone. But um, one of the things that's difficult about doing podcasting, unless you're you know, your radio personality or a comedian, you know, someone who's used to doing this stuff already, you've already learned all your lessons. If you're not one of those people, you have to learn these things as you go along. Like, I'm going to do this, and then this seems like the best choice. And it might be the best choice at the time, but a year later, it's no longer the best choice. That's how things work. Especially, you know, like, we're not sponsored by anyone. So there's no one steering the ship. So I have to keep making decisions that seemed like the best choice. And for me, I think this is the best choice for all of you to get the best content and not have to go to two different places to get it. And it just, it makes more sense for me and for you guys. So why the hell wouldn't I do it? I will say though, um, Lamb, going to feeling different, I do um, our goofiness, you know, the, the weird like things that we would do. I'd never thought about it when there was less people listening. But now that there's more people listening... I have thought about it twice where I'm like, oh, well, the first episode of you and I talking started with a conversation about flatulence. Hmm, was that a good choice? Yeah, honestly, I, I think because of where I am emotionally, I just don't give a shit. I don't really give a shit either, but there's part of me that wonders. <laughs> and and I think that I that kind of... I, I think we'll get to the point where we don't think about it anymore. Um, and I don't think that we'll be far along. Like it might be three or four minutes into each episode where we just disregard that feeling. Um, I think we've been doing this so long um, and we've been we've done it in so many different ways that the concept of either, you know, modifying our speech patterns or censoring ourselves has just completely gone out the window. Or at least I know that's how I feel. I just don't care. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. This is if you guys are listening to this for the first time, this is kind of more of like a radio show. We've said this before in other episodes. So if you're having to hear this again, sorry. But we're just, you know, sometimes we make stupid jokes. Sometimes, you know, we talk about stupid things, but not for the whole episode. We we seem to oscillate between these like highbrow and lowbrow things. And that's just us as people. So either you're going to love it or you're going to hate it. You can skip these episodes and only listen to the interview episodes, whatever. 
we're going to do this this way. And having the two shows combined, speaking of doing it for a long time, this is technically, with the two of them combined, episode 102. Jeez. So we've broken 100. That's why I bought the microphone. Because I told myself if I ever broke 100 episodes, I'd get the number one microphone. Well, I feel like from that perspective too, like there, there's a polished, there's a polished unpolishedness to us now that I think is just comes from experience and time. I mean, given the number of different iterations of shows that you've done and the many different types of things that you've done um, in order to try to communicate um, with people just in general, there's, there's, there's a sense of completeness now to the way our conversations are that I think is really interesting. Um, you know, especially in, in random badassery where we're just as comfortable talking about um, farts as we are society. You know what I mean? Right. Well, what's interesting to me, because um, there's, I don't know, maybe, I want to say about 10, maybe more episodes of you and I talking. I guess we can't call it random badassery anymore because everything's random badassery. But of our conversations where in the years I've lost the show notes. So I've been going through and slowly listening to those um, and <laughs> redoing the show notes. And what's fascinating to me is how many of the topics we talk to, do we talk about now? came up way back then and I didn't remember us talking about them. Um, and I can see the, the, you know, that polish you're talking about. I could see moments of that where it's like, Oh, that's, Oh, we did that really well there. That's the first time we did that. Well, and it's, it's kind of fun to listen to. It's also cringeworthy because you should always cringe a little bit about what you did in the past. I think. Um, well, I, I feel very strongly that we're, at least on some level, we're just constantly chiseling away at something. Um, you know, like some of the topics we talk about, for example, it's not it's not one conversation. You know, over the period of time in which we've doing this, we've been doing this. I know that my opinions have changed on on a number of things, um, as well as my thought process concerning those things. So I don't I, I don't think that it's unusual that we loop back around to many of these things because they're at least for some of the topics I'm thinking of, they're they're almost omnipresent. Um, in our lives, you know, for example, the the idea of defining what a creative life is supposed to look like, or understanding how and why um, society shapes people um, into fear based creatures that make decisions slowly or impossibly at times. You know, those things are constantly going to come up for us because I think they're things that we deal with as people as well. And as we deal with them and we fight our way through them, um, we make revelations. Um, or, or we have revelations and we, we, we find resources that, that change our, our mode of thinking towards a particular thing. And over time, it just becomes natural to, to share that with each other because that's just what we do. Right. And that, with that said, I think we need to jump right into coddling of the American mind. Oh, man. Speaking of, of changing the way you think, if you guys are just here for the first time, this is a book I've read. Lamb's getting around to reading it. So this will be round two on this book. And this book was powerful, powerful book. I wish I had time yeah. to reread it before today. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm about a third of the way through. And I will tell you that just in, in the third that I've read, um, here's, here's an interesting thing. So I'm afraid to talk about it. It's a little scary, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, it's, for anybody who hasn't read it, it is a book written by two left leftists. I hate that word, but left-leaning professors about um, things happening in colleges. Um, but the things that are happening, you know, as, as call-out culture and um, safetyism and all of these things, they, they tend to be things that also people on the left would eat you alive. 
for acknowledging that these things are happening. Um, so it's it's a scary book to talk about because of that, because uh, it's you're talking about something that is in these cases is a healthy reaction in the sense that uh, yes, we don't want people to um, feel unsafe and we don't want people to feel um, marginalized. But then there's also a line where it blows so out of proportion that it actually is destroying the tenants of the establishments um, and is no longer even achieving uh, an actual sense of safety for people. It's setting up um, a whole new paradigm. It's well, I think difficult the, the, to talk about. The, the clarity for me, uh, you know, the one thing, that, the through line, at least from, from my mind, because you know I work in politics, so I deal with this all the time. Um, the, the the tough part is understanding the difference between safety and challenge or, or unsafe and challenging. Um, and in a lot of cases, especially with those two terms in particular, I think the line that separates them blurs massively, almost more than anything I've ever seen, because a lot of it comes down to a, a person's particular comfort level. And I'm not talking about a societally based comfort level that has been beaten into you throughout the course of your life. I'm talking about a human being's actual comfort level if you really get down to it. Right. Um, and I know that that sounds strange, but... I think that we're offended by a lot of things because we're supposed to be offended by them, not because we actually are offended by them. Right. Uh, and we also have some sense of entitlement that we're not allowed to be offended anymore. Yeah, 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 sure. You think uh, that's true? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not, you know, we because this has to do with colleges, we end up talking about the left more, but I see it on the right as well, is that people don't want to be offended. But what sure. they really don't want to be is they don't want to be challenged. Yeah. You know, don't, don't challenge what I believe. Um, but the, the, why, why it's so important that this comes up with colleges is because the purpose of a college is to challenge what you believe so that you can learn something. If you can outlearn things that are wrong and you can strengthen the things that are right. But the only way that happens through, through challenge. And if you start taking challenge out of those institutions, the institutions become useless. Sure. And I think a lot of, of what is defined, I mean, one of the, the edicts of the book um, or, or one of the, the main tenets is, is, is concerning call-out culture and how we so vehemently discourage challenge that at, at, at some point or another, we're going to be unable to problem-solve both um, in our regular lives as well as on a, on, on a societal level because everybody has such a powerful need to maintain that bubble of, of pure safety and 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 unchallengedness if that's a where i mean no if that's a proper way to say that <laughs> um but you know i i definitely see that quite a bit um in my political life like i mean even the politicians i work with there's a very strong sense of what i can and cannot say and i feel like that line gets pushed further and further every day um especially as you get higher and higher in the political spectrum you know because now i'm starting to work with um, you know, some some local assembly members, a few a few Senate people and stuff like that. And so from that perspective, like everything that you say has to be so carefully catered to the environment in which you're saying it, that the 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 the, the genuine there's a lack of, of 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 sincerity in politics that I don't think is necessarily defined by the politicians, but defined by the environments in which they have to communicate. Is it no wonder that people don't trust politicians though? Absolutely, but but it's only because they lie all the time. Yeah, but but it's only because they can't trust themselves. You know, that's a two way. It's not even that. It's that they they can't trust that they can make something and people aren't going to blow it out of proportions and then just ruin their whole career for one thing. 
Yeah, exactly. And so there's there's definitely like I mean, I I work with one particular assembly member, um, and I've been around him enough to know how precise he has to be uh, when it comes to how he communicates his views on particular topics. Some of which you would think are are no brainers, but you know, when it comes to being a politician, there's no such thing as a no brainer. And I used to have this this very defined sense of you know, um, politicians shouldn't be in politics if they need the office. Um, they should only be there if they, they, they feel like they can, they can do some good for the world. And that view is starting to slowly change. Um, and what I mean by that is I now feel like, especially for some of them, um, they feel like they can make such a big difference in society. And so because of that, their, their concept of, of, of being reelected, for example, isn't necessarily about their own egos, even though they do very much want to get reelected. Um, it's about being able to continue doing the work that they do. Um, and more often than not, actually, I'm finding that to be the case. Like my Working in politics has definitely dramatically changed my perception of what a politician has to go through in order to survive in the political spectrum these days. Have you got to the section where they talk about parenting? Is that in the first third? Yes. Um, just, just briefly, though. I think I'm two sections into that. Okay. Well, we'll hold off on that because that's a big, big topic. I mean, this the book overall is just, it's overwhelming in the scope. And then uh, by the time you get to the end, what I, what I really appreciate about it, what they did is it, it, you get to a point where it's so overwhelming. It feels like it's, you know, it's hopeless. You know, so how are we going to fix this? And then they make some suggestions, you know, I mean, their suggestions might not work, but at least they leave the book with, you know, something that you can hold on to because it sure. does feel Not like just presenting a, <laughs> a dramatic doom and gloom situation in which society is falling apart at the seams. Yeah, it's 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 pretty. If you read all of the books that I've read for you know the the books that I've been recommending for like the last uh, six or eight weeks or whatever, it's a pretty doom and gloom picture <laughs> overall. <laughs> That's why I've had yeah, to gear off other things because holy Christ. Holy Christ. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I work in politics, so I get to see the real versions of that um, every day too. Like, for example, there's, there's one particular politician that I work with where um, there, was a, there was a particular housing policy that um, was about rent control. And this old couple came in and screamed at him and basically called him the Osama bin Laden of, of the housing world. Wow. Um, to which that doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, it's just a hurtful statement to say. Right. Um, but I mean, that's, that's what they have to deal with. Can you imagine the, the skin you have to have, the thickness of that skin in order to work in public service? That's just daunting to me. Like every, every single day I see them get crushed um, and just stand right up again. You know, so I mean, I have, I have a different appreciation now, I think, for politicians because I understand on a very practical level what they have to deal with pretty much daily. Um, and in some cases, you know, as, as I'm starting to work with higher and higher level politicians, basically the, the level of that level or the level of that criticism and the, the profoundness of the arguments in either direction just become exponentially larger. And I, I don't understand, I, I, I don't know how you choose that job, honestly. Yeah. Well, at this point, I don't know how you choose to be a college professor either. Oh, yeah. Jeez. You basically live under a microscope 24 hours a day. Which I did hear, I don't know if it was Jonathan Haidt himself or if it was um, 
another college professor referencing this book, but they did say that the, for the most part, most colleges are not having the same problem as the ones here, or at least not in the degree that he talks about here. It's made, it's mainly just um, a small minority, but it's just huge in those places. Like sure. I can't remember the name of the school in Oregon that fired um, Brett Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember that. Apparently it's, it's just, it's terrifying there to be a teacher because the, everything they say is just scrutinized to every, to the nth degree. Ugh, too much. Well, I, you know, when you start looking at stuff like this and this is very weird to say, but you can understand, um, you can understand the appeal of Trump. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh, he doesn't give a fuck. And he gets away with whatever the hell he wants to say. And then, you know, people who support him, it's, it, it has to feel good. Be like, somebody's just talking, you know, they don't even have to agree with what he's saying. But if they support him, they're like, oh, it's just, it's good to hear somebody talking in a way that's not, you know, they don't give a damn because everybody else is so guarded and so afraid. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily good to the, the degree with which he does it. Obviously, I don't agree with pretty much most of the things that come out of the man's mouth. I think he's a moron. But um, I I do think that it's probably really exciting for people to just hear somebody um, talking, regardless of what he's saying, just talking and not giving a damn in the public light because it's so rare. It's so rare. Everybody has, you know, these um, agents and they have these people that are sitting and writing statements for them. And this is what we want you to say. And it's just, it's, it's really fucking boring. It really is. Because we can't get anywhere because we're all just saying things that we want, think other people want us to say. And nobody's actually getting down to conversation. And you know what's worse is I actually, so I'm, I'm left-leaning, you know, I'm pretty much a liberal. And I will say that it's far worse on the left than it is on the right. Well, yeah, because inherently that's, that's the focus of the left, right? The left is focused on... Um, Oh, we don't want to. We we want to make sure everybody's feelings are taken care of. And I'm I'm not making fun of anyone. It's just words I'm saying. Or you know, like their focus is on nurturing people, Um, whereas more on the right is more about pull yourself up by the bootstraps and be tough. Um, So yeah, so the left is worried about what other people think. So they're always continually scrutinizing what people say. Sure. Because because uh, the left. I'm I'm not going to say whether these things are true. I'm just going to say what people purport. The left purports to support the minority. Um, So you have to protect the minority if that's what you purport, right? Well, then offensive statements and all of these things are going to be things against your ideology. So you have to tear those people apart. This is what people think. Um, I don't know if that's true. I think that sometimes you can say stupid shit and then find your way and stumble this shows a perfect example we say stupid shit all the fucking time yeah pretty much every third sentence yeah (laughs) but we stumble ourselves into things that we wouldn't have thought of before if we hadn't said the stupid shit if we hadn't said things that were wrong if we hadn't tried and when when we live in that little paste house of uh paste house that's good i don't even know what the hell that is when we live in that Mm. that little that little white box of this is what's acceptable Nothing happens because it's it's scripts. You know, it's like when you call in for a customer support and they're reading you the script and it takes you fucking 40 minutes to get to your actual problem because they got to go through their script. Sure. You never get anywhere. Whereas 
um, if somebody just said, what's the problem? And you're like, here's the problem. Shit, that sucks. Let me get somebody on that. Boom. Done. We're at the problem. We're getting there. We need more of that. Yeah. And I mean, and that's universally true too. Like we need more of that in almost every environment. Um, I, I feel like the the next... So so Trump is a dramatic overcorrection to the current... Or what the, the political climate was when he was running for office, right? Um, the political correctness, the sheer volume of, of people who were polished practice politicians with speechwriters and coaches and publicists who were defined so much by the rhetoric of their parties that it was impossible to understand where they actually stood for something. So you're right. I mean, I agree with you. As much as I loathe Trump with every fiber of my being, I can understand his appeal. Right. Um, and so, for, but, but the, the, the tough part though, is that I, I feel like it's going to flip in the other direction. And because that's, that's it for, for as much as we'd like to think otherwise, our country is extraordinarily young. So in a lot of ways, we're going through our, our horrible teenage years right now where we're just basically selfish assholes. Um, and we have these, these emotional tirades one direction or the other. So I think in, in the long run, it will correct itself. Um, and there will be a median if we survive that long. Um, but I think the next shift, you know, like I, I see that from from what I see in the in left politics now, is that we're going to go completely in the opposite direction. Oh yeah, and going back to the book, that's one of the problems with what what this behavior does is because we we keep going from extreme to extreme. You know, like sure. we never we never get anywhere because we are, like the title says, we're coddling. You know, it's like, oh well. That word might offend you. Okay, yes, words do offend. They do. We know that. <laughs> Anybody that's the, that doesn't like cursing that's listened to this show so far has been offended at least seven or eight times. Um, that's just the way things are. But that's that's reality. And we're not preparing people for the reality of the world. So what's happening is these, these people, are these human beings, are going off to college, um, believing that the world can be this manicured um, garden you know, where they're perfectly protected from anything that could offend them or challenge them. And then they go to college and then the college, it continues there. Instead of uh, changing that, the college perpetuates it and then they're released into the world. And now these are people that are voting and these are people that are running for office. And they believe these things because they've never actually lived in a world where disagreeing with somebody isn't the end of the world. Disagreeing with somebody isn't war where disagreeing with somebody is a place to start. And we've, we've lost that. We're supposed to have discourse as a place to begin, not the place to end. You know, once we disagree, this is over with. No, it's supposed to be, we disagree. Now we have to talk. And we've lost that. You know, the tough, the tough thing too is that, and I, and maybe my experience is unique through this, but like, you know, I, I grew up in an immigrant family, um, where, you know, at one point in our lives, like my entire family, including aunts and uncles and everybody lived in the same house. And we had to, we had to basically fight our way through all of our problems pretty much constantly, right? I go from that to um, a, a high school experience in which I was doing speech and debate and I was, you know, on stage quite a bit and having to deal with those challenges. And then, you know, once I go into college, I'm, I'm focusing on things like political science and journalism um, and psychology. So I've built a life craving challenge and i think that 
the experience for a lot of people is nothing close to that, which is probably the reason why in the, both the political spectrum, spectrum as well as the social, the, the social strata that I exist in, this, this idea of safety is so asinine to me um, because I, I thrive on challenge. You know, I, I thrive on having someone question my beliefs and, 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 and convince me otherwise. Because even if they don't change my mind, they have a perspective that I have not seen, you know? Right. Well, I'm trying to remember the Jaron Lanier quote from um, 10 Arguments to Delete Your Social Media. It was something along the lines of, I don't want a world that's completely safe. I want a world that challenges me. And obviously, it was far more eloquent, but I don't, I don't have the time to just sit here and search for it. Um, but anyway, we'll finish this conversation when you get deeper in the book. Let's let's jump well, on to something else. Well, a part of that too, before we exit out of this 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 you know, dive is, I think social media would be far more useful if people were honest on social media. Sure, sure. Um, I don't really have anything to say about that because I'll tell you one thing that's great about deleting the social media. <laughs> I don't give a shit about it as a topic anymore. <laughs> it interests me about as much as a butterfly's butthole. I could care less. That's probably more interesting to you because you don't know what a butter. You don't even know if butterflies have buttholes. Yeah, that's, I was thinking about that when I said that, but they do leave little turds, so they have to have oh, little true. stinkers. Okay, mm. so little stinkers, interesting. I feel like you just uh, found the episode title. Everybody jump over to DuckDuckGo and search those two words, butterflies, butthole, and see what comes up. I'm not going to do it right now. Okay, <laughs> so um, I have a bunch, of, a bunch of stuff, but they're all little small things because um, I just happen to have a bunch of little small things. So it should be interesting. Um, but, but, but I'm trying to... Shake things up a little bit. You know what would be a good one to jump into right now? Um, Talking about blandness. Um, We've talked over the years, you and I personally and on the show have talked about um, Medium, the the website Medium and how great it was and all this stuff. It fucking sucks now. (laughs) Oh, man. It's, it's, It's like the same shit over and over again. Everybody's writing the same damn articles over and over again. No depth and just uh, same productivity tips, same business tips, the same shit over and over again. You can go in there and search and look around and you're not going to find anything interesting anymore. It's really, you know what it reminds me of? YouTube. Mm. You know, YouTube for a while, it was really fascinating. You go on, you and I had, and I was thinking about this because I think it's like episode three or something. We had talked about YouTube and how great YouTube was and we thought it was the, the future of television. It's so boring now because it's like literally the same people, the same thing with Medium, same people sharing the same information, except it's like, I, I, I know this information that this other person did, but this is my video saying the same thing. So it's like, it's like same people just with different, or different people with the same script. They're all just reading the sure. same thing, giving the same tips. I wonder why that is. Why did, what makes these communities just... <laughs> All the all the creativity gets sucked out of them. Well, I I, I go back to your algorithm issue. Um, I think too many, I think too many places are so concerned with eyeballs that they don't care about difference. Mm. That's that's kind of what my guess was. My guess was that the, you go into like Medium. We'll use for the example here. You go into Medium, and there's all these awesome articles, and you're reading this stuff, and you're going, "Wow, this guy is doing really well. This lady is really kicking ass." And then they go, I want to do that. So what are they doing? So then they imitate them. 
And then another person comes along and then they see, instead of seeing the first two people, they see the third guy. And so she, she imitates the third guy. And then somebody comes in and then sees the fourth lady. And then they imitate the fourth lady. And then this, it's like Xerox of Xerox of Xerox of Xerox. And then you just end up with this white piece of paper with little black blobs on it that you can't even fucking read anymore. And, and so the topic that we originally talked about with um, the Catalonian of the American Mind is fantastically represented in what we're talking about now. How so? It, 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 it's creating, you, you want to go with so much with what's safe that you ignore your responsibility as a writer or a journalist to challenge. Right. You know, it's, I've discovered, speaking of that, a really interesting podcast. It's called um, You're Wrong About. And it's two journalists, and essentially they take these stories that we all think that we know, like the Exxon Valdez or um, Anita Hill or uh, Crack Babies or Satanic Panic, um, Roe v. Wade, and they actually do research into it. And then they come in and they go, okay, here's what we, they're younger than us. So it's, it's, there's a lot of assumptions even more for them because things were just passed on to them. Sure. Um, but they come in and they go, here's, here's the thing about, here's the truth about this. I'm um, like, for example, one that I found fascinating with the Anita Hill thing, even watching a documentary about her, I didn't know this. And that's, she never came forward. Really? She, she did not come forward. She was interviewed by the FBI and made to testify. She never came forward. She didn't want to testify. Interesting. She wanted nothing to do with it. She wanted to continue in Kentucky, I think it is, and just keep teaching law. She wanted nothing to do with it. So it's it's really fascinating because it, I, I don't always uh, agree with the assumptions that they make on everything, which is great because they challenge me. But they always bring in something where it's even if you're on the right or you're on the left. If you listen to the episode, you're going to go, I did not know that. I thought it was this. Fascinating. Wow. And that's interesting because that means that our current concept of um, victims of sexual assault coming forward colored how we saw our own history. Of course, yeah. The Anita Hill story is just, I think, I've, I've, I've read a lot about her and I watched the, the documentary called Anita at least two or three times. She's just a, a fantastic human being. Yeah, she's kind of a badass. And she's just a sweet, quiet person. Like, she's not like this, you know, that's the thing that they got wrong about it. You know, like, we've all thought um, that she came forward. And, you know, if you're on the left, she was a hero. And if you're on the right, it was like she was a bitch trying to throw a a wrench in the gears of of, uh, this um, appointment. Neither are true. She got got forced into it. And she's a hero to me because of how she had to deal with um, being forced into this thing and being thought of all these things and living through it and just continuing to do what she loved, which was teach the law. Um, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. Anyways, I, that, I just thought that was a great example of journalism done right. Uh, can you imagine how crippling it is to have the specter of that follow you around, especially if you didn't ask for it? Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. It would be like being elected president with ever, without ever putting your name on the ballot. 
you're like, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hold your horses there. That's not what I signed up for. I'm not ready of four years of people shitting on me no matter what I do. <laughs> Man, I cannot imagine. I mean, I think about, and, and don't get me wrong, this is not to say that I have any real empathy for Trump at all, but I get it um, from the, like, I mean, you, you, you look at all of these pictures of presidents um, before their, their terms begin and then after, and they look like they age so much. Except for him. He's like, yeah, uh, except for him, he looks exactly the same. He looks the same. I mean, he was already old, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, he looks if you the look, same. If you, if you look at like George W. Bush or if you look at, at even Barack Obama, I mean, the amount of gray hairs that Barack has by the end of the presidency and how many more wrinkles he has is like shocking. Oh, yeah. But also, to be fair, they're in their 40s, usually the 40s or the 50s, and it's eight years. So they move closer to being a senior. So some of it's not all stress. Some of it's just normal, natural aging of eight years. Sure, that's true. That's a good point. That's one thing nobody ever talks about. Like, I look older than I did eight years ago, and I wasn't president. Yeah, true. <laughs> I look a lot older than I did eight years ago. I have nah, no hair then. I, I don't know. I think, you, I think you look mostly the same. You know my beard is almost 100% white now, right? Yeah. That's old. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, believe me, oh, believe me, my hair is thinning, so I, I know. I, I'm, I'm used to, my entire life, I had like a luxurious, you know, vast amount of hair, and now it's it's dissipating before my eyes, and it's horrifying to me. Considering how closely tied, maybe not so much as it was like 20 years ago, but how closely tied men's vanity is to their hair, I'm shocked with all the money that's been thrown at that they still haven't come up with a cure for balding. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it doesn't seem mechanically that difficult. I'm, obviously, I don't fucking know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> I know about as much as the guy watching TV uh, every Sunday yelling at the quarterback knows about football. <laughs> so, you're, so you're not a geneticist by nature? Come on. Come on, Chad. Yes, I was born. I was a born geneticist. Um, that's interesting. <laughs> you should say that. I'm not going to talk about it now because it's a big bummer topic. We'll go on to it later, but one of the things I want to talk about is CRISPR. So oh. stick around. This will be oh, a, if we had uh, sponsors, this would be a great time. Like stick around, and then we go to a commercial. So let me ask you this weird question, right? Um, not what you wanted to be when you were a kid, because that's a, everybody wants to be like a firefighter or a secret agent or some shit like that. When you were twenty years old, what did you want to be? When I was how old? Twenty. A novelist. In the vein of who? Veronica Vonnegut? Mm, when I was 20? Uh, probably Kerouac at that point. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, that would have been right after I flunked out of college. Yeah. So that seems about right. Or um, what else was I into then? I was really into, this is not a novelist, but I was really into Jean-Jacques Rousseau at that uh, time see. too. Um, nerd. 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 Well, I mean, I like guys like uh, William Carlos Williams. I mean, believe me, I know. We're going full nerd on it. Oh, speaking of philosophy, I did mention, I wasn't didn't plan on talking about this on the show, so we're not going to go into this very long. But you haven't, I take it, you haven't seen The Good Place yet? Um, I actually saw the first two seasons of that. Okay. I'm almost done with the second season. I think, the, first of all, they work in philosophy so well into a sitcom I really think that might be one of the most clever shows on television. Well, you can't really say on television. The most clever shows out there right now. 
It's so well written. Yeah, I actually don't. I actually don't disagree with that. And I'm shocked that it's so popular because it's so clever. It, it it's like going against the 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 belief that many of us have that things are getting dumber. Like here's something that's actually genuinely clever, and people like it. You know why though? It's because it's because of how it's packaged. Like you'd never know that there was that much philosophy wrapped up in that show if you're just watching it from the surface. I don't know. They have like you know like five minute debates about philosophy within the episodes. Yeah, but they're always wrapped around comedy and weird hijinks. That's true. And you know acting, I mean? like I, because I know, are hilarious too. Because I know plenty of people who actually watch that show um, who don't catch any of the philosophical undertones at all. That's so weird. I mean, just considering that, like, one of the key plot points of season one is Immanuel Kant himself. Yeah, actually, yeah, sure. So maybe they're just not actually watching the show. But you know, like Chad, we're, we're also huge, we're also huge nerds, dude. Well, I know, but and just it's like it's a key plot point that they have to learn philosophy from Chidi. Like, that's that, if you don't know that that's happening, then you don't know what's going on in the show at all. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's how they're trying to get. Actually, let's let's stop because there's a whole shitload of spoilers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, show is full of spoilers. Almost every episode, you could spoil something. Yeah, exactly. So I, I feel like that's that's a smart move. We should back off of that because there are plenty of people who are going to want to watch the show without us revealing the entire point of the show. Right. Yeah, I, I wanted to watch it because I love Ted Danson and I've the only thing I've ever seen Kristen... Everybody knows who Kristen Bell is. I know who she is. The only thing I've ever seen her in was Forgetting Sarah Marshall. But I was like, I want to see her act. You never um, saw Veronica Mars? No. And I really? tried to stream it and I, it's not available for streaming. So Ooh, You're missing out, buddy. It's like two seasons also, right? Yep. It's pretty short. I think they were trying to bring it back. Um, but you know, I know, you they know how that goes. It. I mean, that's a, that's a tricky proposition one way or the other. She's married to Dak Shepard. That she is. And they have one of the most entertaining love lives. I mean, they're one of the few people that I actually were follow- was following on Instagram um, for a while that was actually interesting celebrity-wise. Yeah, they're like one of the few um, celebrities that I was like, oh, I would. I think that they would actually be really cool to hang out with. They just seem yeah. like real people. Yeah, they look like a lot of fun. That's true. So, um, let's see. Where shall we jump now? Oh, um, speaking of, since I brought up a podcast, I was going to bring up another podcast. This isn't necessarily a recommendation for this podcast because I've only listened to a fourth of an episode. Excuse me. Um, it's called Grumpy Old Geeks, though. If anybody's heard of... Uh, I, I did not know this when I put on this show, actually. I put on this show just because I was looking in Overcast, which is a podcast app, if you don't know. And this show was always in the top recommendations. And it has like kind of terrible 